0: Welcome to the LA Realtor Podcast. I'm Paul with Great Belts.
1: And I'm Sarah with Glen Oaks Escrow. And we're getting to know the industry one conversation at a time. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Paul.
0: do you think you could put your phone down for a minute while we re- <laughs> record this episode?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta take care of my number one. I actually have a job. I don't know if you knew that.
0: You got people, people I, to serve I, I do.
1: and yeah, I do. To sell, hand- sell, serve. I've been told. Ooh.
0: Oh, I like that. <laughs> okay, well, can I, uh, can I tell you about our guest? I would pre- love to hear I'm, about our guest. I'm, I'm
1: excited, excited about today's guest. Yeah, yeah.
0: This, this is going to be amazing. I'm glad I, I found uh, this gentleman recently because I think it's going to be very informative. I am, uh, I'm reading from his website. He is a real estate attorney and this is what he says. And I think it's true. Real estate disputes can occur during the negotiation period after a contract's been written during escrow or even well after escrow is closed. And that's right. And so he works with all sorts of parties in the real estate transaction, buyers, sellers, agents, insurance, architects, homeowners, associations, inspectors, contractors, escrow companies. So he's really got it covered. I'm excited to talk to him. Welcome, Jack Lapidus.
2: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Jack, although I feel like I gave a pretty good rundown of what you do, give us some color about yourself. Tell us how long you've been doing this and tell us more about your firm.
2: Sure. So I've been an attorney for, oh, next month, I think it will be 27 years. I've been out on my own for about five and a half years. Prior to that, I worked at law firms of varying size, doing various things. I spent uh, a good portion of my career, about 11 years at a firm that focused mostly on real estate litigation, a lot of representing real estate agents and brokers, escrow companies, contractors, things like that. That's where I kind of got that flavor. I also previously worked at firms that did uh, car accident, personal injury, I was mostly on the defense side, had some uh, big delivery companies as clients, and so uh, dealt with some multi-million dollar lawsuits at that, at that time. And uh, I also did, for a little while, I did medical malpractice defense, which uh, convinced me I didn't want to do medical malpractice for the rest of my, fir- my career. But then I, I left the firm I was at for about 11 years and bounced around a few other firms kind of trying to find my, my niche. And I finally decided I don't play well with others anymore. I'm getting too old for that kind of stuff. (laughs) And uh, my wife allowed me to open my own firm with zero clients. I run it out of my office, uh, home office, always have, and got got a UPS box down the block, which at the time, five and a half years ago, there were some clients who were not comfortable with that. But now that COVID happened and everyone was working from home and that just became the norm. So it's not even an issue when it comes up anymore. So I focus on uh, real estate disputes, and, and I'm kind of purposeful when I say disputes. I do do litigation. I have trial experience. I've I've argued before the state appellate court. I've, argued, you know, I've handled cases in federal court. But I really feel like after the experience of going through trials and handling matters in, in litigation, that it's really important to resolve cases at the dispute stage before you get into court, before you have deadlines, before you have a judge telling you when to do things and when not to do things, and really leaving the control in the hands of the parties. And there is a great value. I tell, tell potential clients this all the time. There is a great value to resolving a case before it becomes a lawsuit. And so sometimes a client may pay a little more than if they took it to court or get a little less, but they end up paying me less which is fine with me. I want to try and keep people out of litigation.
0: You're a non-litigious lawyer is what it yeah, sounds like. Yeah, but if someone wants, to, in a way.
2: someone wants to play that <laughs> game, I play that game as well as the next litigation attorney.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Well, let me ask you this. So you're a real estate attorney. You, you work um, uh, with agents and, and, and buyers and sellers. And it sounds like mostly transaction type issues and disputes. And this uh, podcast is uh, intended for realtors. What is the most common dispute that you've seen in your many years?
2: Well, in relation to real estate professionals, the most common dispute that comes up is something that wasn't disclosed well enough or not disclosed at all, Mm -hmm. or in fact, hidden. When you have a purchase and sale of a residential property and it closes and the buyer find something that wasn't disclosed, that gets the real estate professional in big trouble. And I tell real estate professionals all the time that if your client comes to you, you're, you're the listing agent, and your client comes to you and says, do I have to disclose? You can put your hand up and say, yes. <laughs> because if they're even thinking about whether it needs to be yeah. disclosed, you need to disclose. And it's amazing the things that I've seen turn into lawsuits that people were aware of them, but for whatever reason didn't disclose them. And then they turn into lawsuits. You can't get sued for something you disclose.
1: Right. So better to over-disclose than to not Absolutely. disclose at all. I
2: actually had a, a case that I handled that has put something into my mind about the house I, I live in now. There was a lawsuit about mold underneath the kitchen sink, allegedly, that uh, it was there. And there had been a leak. And the father-in-law had fixed it. And they, you know, they, dabbed up all the water and that was it. And five years later, they sell the house and the buyers have a son who's very susceptible to mold and they find out about this leak somehow. And then they sued about it. So we bought our house almost 16 years ago. And when we moved in, we had a leak in one of the bathrooms, a very, I guess you call it a powder room and it has wood floor and there was water everywhere. And we cleaned it up, fixed the leak. In the back of my mind, When I go to sell this house, I'm actually going to disclose that in two thousand seven we had a leak in that bathroom. Wow. Because I don't want it coming back.
0: Well, can can we talk about though, isn't there a time limit on when you need to disclose something? If it's something happened twenty years ago. I mean that's
2: you you would think the statute of limitations is different than what you're thinking about. If there was a, a leak a while back. Well, I'll take it back to a personal thing as well. Our prior house, we had a terrible flooding problem in our driveway when it rained. And we spent a lot of money to put a drain in and a pump and all this kind of stuff. And when it came time to sell the house, well, that problem is solved in theory. Right. But if I just tell them about it, I don't have to worry about being sued. That what if the whatever reason the drain doesn't work and now they have a flood in front of the house? So, the short answer, hmm. I guess, to your question is no. There's no statute of limitations. If something happened, like for me, it's 17 years ago, I'm still going to disclose it because then I can't get sued for it.
0: That's the craziest thing in the world that you could, theory, still be on the hook for something that happened 5, 10, 20, 50 years ago. This, well, yeah. my, my
2: father in law, asked wild. My father in law asks me all the time, and he's finally learned after 20 some odd years he says, Can you sue someone for that? And the answer is yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Because you can sue someone for anything. Yeah, you really
1: can. So, okay. If you are a seller, putting your home on the market, what kind of things like, just in case like your memory isn't being jogged in the moment that you're listing this property, what are the types of things that you want to disclose? Or if you're an agent, what are the kind of questions you want to be asking your clients?
2: Anything having to do with water. Have you ever had a plumber here? Yep. Uh, Have you ever had a contractor (laughs) here? Have you painted the interior? at any point in time because you have the water leak issues, you have work done without permits, you have painting over water stains, have you ever had uh fumigation services? Have you do you have a regular uh, I guess it's a, not fumigation. We have a a, a bug guy who comes around the house.
0: Pest control? pest
2: control. Do you pest have a control. regular pest control? Yeah. Okay, why do you have pest control? Mm-hmm. Did you have a problem before you had pest control? <laughs> Uh, we've had a pest control person here for 17 years. Cause when we bought the house, there were a bunch of rat droppings in the attic. So we don't want, we don't want the rat family coming back. Uh, so those, it sounds crazy and I'm telling, and, and, and it, it is crazy cause it, it doesn't make logical sense, but from a legal standpoint, from the files that I've seen come across my desk in the last 26, 27 years, it all goes back to, if you disclose, you can't get sued for it.
0: What is right. the, Is there a crazy situation that you recall where somebody did sue some, somebody for something that seemed just wildly inappropriate? I would like to
2: say there was only one case of this, but <laughs> there were multiple cases of this. In the early 2000s, I had a number of cases in Santa Barbara County involving buyers claiming that there was mold in the house and it hadn't been disclosed. And in almost every case, it was someone who bought a house with the intention to remodel, they started remodeling, realized they didn't have enough money and they need to get money from someone else to pay for the remodel, and so they all happened to find mold in the walls. And in every one of the cases, it was, well, could you see anything on the wall before you broke it out? No. Was it behind the wall in, you know, where the where the studs are? Yes. So, did you expect someone to look through the wall to see the mold. Well, they should have known they lived there for 10 yeah. years. They should have known there was mold. And I'm telling you, there were multiple, multiple cases and every house in Santa Barbara County has, has mold. And so there were lots of these cases and there were one or two plaintiff's attorneys who kind of went around and said, Hey, you just bought your house. Were you remodeling? I bet you there's mold there. We should sue the people who sold it to you.
1: And do they, do they win in those cases or are those hard to win? Because there's no way for that. Well, seller to have no okay so right. th-
2: this is going to sound kind of reasonably nobody wins in most litigation okay <laughs> it, it, regardless <laughs> of how far it goes right. 90 whatever percent of cases settle a, a ton of cases settle depending on where you look at the number 95 98 99 so they all come down to uh, economic decisions. if there's an insurance company involved Generally, the case will end up settling. They'll pay more than they want to pay, and the the plaintiff will get less than they want to get. And that's that's a good settlement when everyone's annoyed with it. So very, <laughs> very few of the mold cases went to trial, the ones that I handled. I'm trying to right. think off top. I honestly can't okay. think of one off the top of my head because it was a number of years ago, but almost all of them settle.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask you this, Jack. So... We we're talking about disclosures, which I think we've understood now is probably the most important thing that people can be thinking about when they transact. What is the responsibility of the agent? The agent didn't live there. They're gonna fill out the avid and tell you that they see cracks in the walls and a little paint peeling. What's the responsibility of the agent in this scenario?
2: From my perspective, as someone who represented real estate agents for many years and still does, is they need to take the avid seriously. It's not just mm-hmm another transaction. Oh, I, you know, I'm doing two or three of these every week or I'm, you know, Oh, it's another avid. It's like, you have to like, before you walk through the door, reset your brain and say, this is the most important habit I've ever done because you don't know which one's going to turn into <laughs> a lawsuit. And so, and you don't know what's going to turn into a lawsuit. Mm. Right. So you need to be there in the moment, actually doing the work. And that is when before 2000, 2007, 2008, when there were just a ton of unqualified real estate professionals, you know, everyone got into the business because everyone can get make money. I literally sat down with a, a client and I I used the term avid, and they didn't know what that meant. I mean, they knew there was this form that they filled out, but they were so uneducated they didn't know what the lingo of being a real estate agent. And that person did, you know, terrible avids. I went back through their files, so I think. That's where real estate agents make their money is doing the things they're supposed to do.
0: But what's their liability, Jack? Let's say say you missed something in an Avid. You didn't see the the mold under the sink. So what, what, what happens to you as an agent? What, what could happen in a lawsuit?
2: You can get sued saying that you failed to disclose it either on purpose or negligently because you're a real estate agent, you have, uh, you're held to a a certain standard called a standard of care. If there's a big crack in the ceiling or there's a water stain that you didn't mark down, that's something as a real estate agent, you are supposed to be able to identify and put in your AVID. Then, if you get sued, the other side brings in an expert, an experienced real estate professional, usually someone who is a, a, a broker, not just an agent. As it turns out, it's just, that's just how the expert things work. One of the best experts I've used is not only is he a broker, he's also a lawyer. So that gives him a little more of gravitas. But the expert for the other side will come in and say it's below the standard of care for a real estate agent to not see that water stain and put it on the avid. And then on our side, on the on the defense side, our expert will say, Yeah, but okay, so it was so small you can see it, or it was so big everyone could see it. And so the Mm -hmm. fact that you didn't put it on the avid shouldn't really matter. Right. And that kind of goes into a, if I may, into sort of another discussion, which is disclosure is about knowledge. Okay. You're disclosing the information. So the buyer, let's say the buyer has knowledge of the defect. Okay. Well, if you have evidence that the buyer already has that knowledge, the fact that it wasn't disclosed means there's no liability or there shouldn't be liability. So I've had cases where there's emails back and forth about the stain on the ceiling but for whatever reason, it never made it into an AVID. And so there's no liability, there should be no liability for the real estate agent in that kind of situation.
1: Ah, oh, good to know.
0: Yeah. So when you have these types of situations, is the in terms of the liability, is it really the real estate agent that has to worry about it? Is it the broker for whom the real estate agent works under? Is it E&O insurance? Like who is... When the payout, when it when it comes time to pay, you know, write a check and pay out, does the agent really have to worry about that it's gonna be their own money?
2: Well, ultimately, in your run-of-the-mill failure to disclose lawsuit, the real estate agent individually, the real estate brokerage will get named as defendants, typically both of them. Usually not the broker individually, especially if it's a big company, will mm-hmm. you'll usually just name the company. And Hopefully, they have EO you know, insurance. And now the brokerages and the agents at different brokerages have a different, all have different ways of distributing the liability as far as uh, writing checks. For example, if you're an agent and you have an 80 20 split with the broker on your listings, you will have an 80 20 split on the deductible. Hmm. Some ah. of the agents pay part of the insurance out of every sale they do. And in that case, the deductible will be covered by the brokerage. And then you have some cases where it, regardless of the split, the split on the deductible is 50-50. And I've seen it that way and many other ways. But in the end, in your typical case, unless there's some fraud or something that's not covered, the E&O pays for everything after the deductible. And it, most cases I've dealt with, I think the deductible—it's been a little while. You know, there was like twenty thousand dollars deductible, fifty thousand dollars deductible. But if we get close to wow. trial, we've burned through that deductible, and now it's all in the E and O to pay whatever's left need, needs to be paid for a settlement.
0: Yeah, it's not a it's still not a small number—twenty thousand, yeah. fifty thousand. It's still worth thinking about. But so we talked about disclosures. We talked about Avid. What else, as an agent, would you advise someone? they need to be thinking or doing to kind of stay out of trouble. (laughs) Don't get sued by doing what?
2: For most professionals, I've also represented lawyers who have been sued for malpractice. I've represented insurance brokers who have been sued for malpractice. A lot of it comes down to keeping your client informed. Now, for example, I do something that I think is unique for a lawyer, which is my clients see every email, whether I'm sending it or receiving it. They always know what's going on in my case, okay. And I don't see any reason why a real estate agent can't do that as well. I mean, we're now living in a world with you know there's emails and texts and Slack and all these other things that there shouldn't be a paper trail for everything. I've had cases where the buyer is complaining, "Well, I didn't know that this was you know these discussions were going on behind my back about." the crack in the pool and how much it's going to cost. And then my agent came to me and said, Oh, it's only $5,000 when they've been having discussions where it was 15 or $20,000. So if you keep your client informed of what's going on every step of the way, again, you know, disclosure, you can't get sued for what you disclose. Yep. Now I know there are some real estate agents and there's some clients who that's a real difficult ask because some clients will freak out. Oh my God, there's this email about the pool and blah, and, and you know, mm-hmm. and it, and it turns into this whole big, that's where real estate agents make their money is by being a counsel for their client. And sometimes you have a high-strung client and that's just what you gotta do. And I have the same thing with my clients. And sometimes I have clients who I sit there and like, do I really need to send this to my client? And I'm like, but I really do need to, because that's what I believe is the best way to keep a client informed. So keep the client informed. Don't sugarcoat things. Don't, you know, set realistic expectations. That's a real important one, especially nowadays where we had such a huge swing in the cost of homes and interest rate. And I mean, I'm just waiting. I'm telling you, six months from now, maybe up to a year, I'm going to start seeing a lot of lawsuits on the houses that were bought at 3%, but $150,000 over asking. And then- Because Why? Because the, the, the buyers are going to say, "Well, they they let me buy this house for too much money, oh, and wow. I can't afford this house now, and they should have advised me better." Wow. Now, again, you can be sued for anything. I'm not saying they're going to win, but right. I, I, yeah. I'm telling you, it, it's coming down the pipe. <laughs> and then, with the, what's going on now is in another year from now, and maybe 18 months, you're going to have the sellers who are going to be suing their agents for not getting them to sell sooner or for underselling because the interest rates are so high. And that's the cycle I've seen going back to the early two thousands and then 2007, 2008. And that's the cycle that will, that will happen.
0: That's crazy.
1: interesting, Yeah.
0: That makes people sound so unreasonable, (laughs) (laughs) which they are, of course.
1: Well, I think a lot of it has to do with people feeling like something unjust has happened. Right. And that's when people want to sue and things get messy.
2: I had a case, where I was representing a homeowners association where a person sued the person whose house was behind them for affecting their view on the other side. And that's when I said, all bets are off. I never understood that lawsuit, but the fact that it actually got filed and he found a lawyer to file it for him. I was like, all bets are off.
1: Yeah. Do you see any issues with the listing agreements that lead to disputes?
2: Well, it goes back to expectations. You know, you want to as a real estate professional, you want to do your homework before you put that number in there that you think it's going to sell for. You want to be careful as a real estate professional that you're not practicing law by changing contracts too much, including the listing agreement or the offer or the counteroffer. My rule of thumb is that if you're writing more than two or three sentences into the contract, you may be practicing law and also you may be opening yourself up to a lawsuit from somebody because what you wrote didn't really say what you thought it said. You have, to, you have to realize that whatever you write on those blank lines is going to be scrutinized by a lawyer and a judge and a jury. You know, as, right. as a lawyer, we're, we're taught very early on, dance like no one's watching, but write your emails <laughs> like they're going to be a blow up at a trial.
1: Oh, that's great.
2: Something like that. There's
1: variations <laughs> on that. But. I, yeah.
0: Look, correct me if I'm wrong. Most agents do not think they're going to get sued.
1: I think people are... I think a yeah. lot of agents are so in the day-to-day of the job right. that they do not... They're not constantly worried about this. Not thinking The about realtors it. that I know that are very adamant about this type of stuff are usually also attorneys. They're real realtor yeah. attorneys. Yeah.
2: I can't tell you how many real estate agents... How many real estate agents said to me, I've never been sued before. And I get to say to them, you don't get to say that anymore. <laughs>
0: No one, yeah, no one thinks they're going to get sued. No one thinks they're going to hire a bad contractor. No one thinks they're going to get cancer. That's what I always say. It's always somebody else. It's not going to happen to me. Right. Let me ask you this. Correct me if I'm wrong here. The standard RPA... Is that still what they call it? The purchase agreement, the residential purchase agreement. Um,
1: <laughs> How long have you been out of this I, game?
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, is that what it's called? Calls for arbitration. Is that right, Jack, that you have to go to arbitration if you have a dispute? You're not, you're not supposed to sue someone?
2: So my recollection, I haven't looked at it in, in detail fairly recently, but my recollection is, is that there's a mandatory mediation clause. Okay. And there's an optional arbitration clause. And both sides have to sign off on the arbitration clause to require arbitration. Mm-hmm. Now, what gets interesting is technically the real estate professional is not a party to the contract. So there have been oh. cases where there's the arbitration clause is signed off and the real estate agent is like, well, I don't want to go to arbitration. But there, has been, there have been cases where the real estate professional has been ordered to go to the arbitration. There's also been cases where the real estate professional has been able to compel the other parties to go to arbitration because it's contemplated in the language of the agreement that the real estate professional would be bound by those terms. And there is a part where the real estate professional signs off on things, even though they're not a party to the agreement. I have a friend who's, who was on the committee that created the CAR forms, and I've said to him more than once, I said, why don't you put a part in there where the, just the real estate professional signs off that they're bound by the arbitration clause? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I've been fighting for that for 20 years. And for whatever mm-hmm. reason, it's, it's not come up. But I think the law now, is it's probably more likely that if the arbitration clause is signed off by the parties, that, the, that will apply to the real estate professional. Your mileage may vary.
0: So I, I could see a listing agent getting sued for all the reasons we talked about a buyer's agent? Does a buyer's agent ever get sued? Have you ever seen that happen?
2: They oh, yeah. Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless unless the buyer's agent is the buyer's brother-in-law, if someone's suing the seller's agent and the seller, mm. they're, they're also suing the buyer's <laughs> agent saying that, okay. you know, their avid didn't show mm. the stain either. Because again, it's all about knowledge. Disclosure is about knowledge. So if one avid says there's a stain in the ceiling and the other one says there isn't, they've been given notice, even though the one agent failed to do it. So most of the time, uh, most of the cases I've been involved in, everyone gets sued. And in fact, in many cases, when I've represented the buyers, the listing agent, I always thought that the buyer's agent had more liability than the listing agent because the buyer's agent also has to ask the right question. Like I said, going back to what we said before, has there ever been a plumber to the house? I want to see the receipts. Has there ever been a contractor here? I want to see the receipt. Letting uh, escrow close before getting all the documents, like HOA documents, that's a big one, is letting escrow close before you have the HOA, CCNRs, and, and bylaws, that's a big no-no. And I, and I think actually the law may have changed on that as far as uh, it used to be the HOAs didn't have to give those, but I think now they do. Don't quote me on that, even though I just said it. So there's plenty of things that the the buyer's agent can get in trouble for.
1: Yeah. 9As are a big one too. How so? We get people all the time who want us to close without a 9A and we uh. won't do it. You you can't do that. That's there's information Mm. that if they find out after the fact that's included in that, I mean, that is just prime for a lawsuit. And I still hear people say, "Oh, well, some escrow companies will do it," and I'm like, "We're not that company. We're not doing it." Right. um,
0: right.
1: Order it before you list the property. Order it right when you get that listing agreement, so you have it in your back pocket and ready to go. It's
0: info that the buyer should have.
1: 100%.
0: Jack, is there no statute of limitations either on how long? after someone purchases a house, they can sue? It's 10 years later,
2: or is so, that? Yes, there is. There, there are okay. special limitations, and I'm, I'm gonna do it off the top of my head. I, I have a good memory for lots of things, but the law changes a lot. If you wanna sue a real estate professional, I believe it's a year after the close of escrow, not a year okay. after discovery. If mm-hmm. you wanna sue the seller, I believe it's a year or two after discovery of the problem.
0: Um, Oh, wow. And
2: and then discovery
0: could be many, many years later. I mean, right? Right, right. And and there may be
2: some limitation on that. Like I said, you know, most of my practice, I try to avoid litigation. So I haven't gotten into the statute of limitations issues in regards to real estate professionals and sellers recently. Something I always look up, because like I said, the statute of limitations seems to change often. But there's also there's there's a different statute of limitations. I used to handle a lot of large developer developments in like Orange County where they built like 200 homes or 300 homes. And I believe there's some statute of limitation that's 10 years, like a wraparound statute of limitation of, of 10 years, something like that that's, for the developer.
0: That's the latent defect on new homes. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember that. That one's a little different. Yeah.
2: That came in that actually came into effect when I was when I was handling those kind of cases. And it was a big uproar in the legal community about that.
0: Yeah. If you buy a new home, people should probably know that you can probably call the developer for 10 years and get whatever f- you need fixed, fixed, because they don't want a lawsuit on their hands. Yeah.
2: yeah. Assuming they still exist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. So so all right. So we talked about buyers and sellers and brokers and agents. And I know your company handles, like we talked about, mortgage companies, escrow companies, contractors, home inspectors, architects, associations. Is there another one of those groups that commonly might get sued or might get embroiled in a dispute when a home transacts?
2: So a lot of my cases, a vast majority of my cases at this time, involve neighbor disputes. So shared trees, shared driveways, shared fences, property line issues, easement, noise complaints and sometimes even a little bit of violence. A lot of those cases that I'm handling right now involve developers going into a neighborhood, tearing down a house, doing a survey, and finding that the fence that was built in West LA in 1942 is six inches in the wrong direction, or it's crooked, or something like that. And I have a lot of those kinds of disputes, trees that are causing damage to neighbors. And I find what's interesting is that when that issue comes up, the person, uh, the neighbor who's not the developer, will reach out to the real estate professional, even though if they, even if they bought the house ten or fifteen years before. And that's where I get mm-hmm. my cases from: is a lot of real estate professionals from their former clients. So those, those are the kind of things that are very popular right now. And and I I was very specific, especially in West LA, where it seems like the property lines were just suggestions for the people who <laughs> were building houses in the '30s and '40s. It's just They're amazing. They're never on the. They
0: are never on the property line, those fences. No. Nope. And if there's and if there's one thing I, I took away from this conversation, it's that as an agent on your AVID, you better take a walk around the periphery of the property and see if there's any leaning fences or walls and trees that are pushing something somewhat, right? I mean, that should all be on well, the yeah, AVID.
2: Even better, if you look at the flat map and you see that the property is rectangular mm-hmm. and you go out and the fence is a zigzag, you know, part of the fence is not on the property line. And so mm-hmm. you don't have to go and get a survey done or whatever, but you should disclose Right. the property has a straight line. The fence is not straight. So the fence is probably not on the property. line. And again, once you mm. disclose that, you can't get sued for it.
0: And it's funny because it's that's generally not something that comes up in an inspection, does it? I, I don't think inspectors are really concentrating on like discolored wood fences or fences that are leaning. I mean, although that's to your point, that's kind of visible. If you're a buyer and you walk the property, it kind of it sticks out. Like it's not invisible. You see that yourself. I
2: agree. But people don't think about it until someone puts it in the words. Like I said, it's like the property's right. a rectangle. The yeah. fence has two zigs in it. Yeah, It yeah. could possibly be on the property line. You may want to look into that or, tell, uh... or just buy it and live with it.
0: Right. You ever tell a buyer's agent, like have your Buyer come back to the house multiple times because I feel like every time you go, the first time you see a house when you're shopping, you're like so excited and you you're, you you kind of you're kind of falling in love and you're emotional. But if you come back a second, a third, a fourth time, you're you're starting to notice stuff. Oh, there's some roots growing here, or the fence is leaning. Feels like maybe you should walk that house multiple times before you put that offer in.
2: Yeah, well, I think again, that's part of the real estate professional's duty is they're not the one buying the house. I mean, they can be excited for their client, but this is a business transaction for them. And so they need to go in and look at the house from the standpoint of, I need to see, I I don't want to just find what's right with the house. It's my job to find what's wrong with the house and tell that to my client. And my client may say, well, that's a deal killer. Or my client may say, I don't care about that. Or the client may say, well, we need to bring a professional in, you know, someone to check the foundation, someone to, we may need to get a survey for this side of the property. We may need to bring in a plumber or someone to check on the sprinklers. That's a big one that comes up. Like no one ever checks the sprinklers when they're buying a house until the first time they go to turn on the sprinklers, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Let me ask you one last question because I'm kind of curious. I know this conversation has gone a little long, but I love the information. Is there anything nuanced or specific that a buyer a seller or an agent should be thinking about when they buy a condo or a townhome or something that's within a homeowners association? Is there any nuance there?
2: I just got a call for a case. A woman bought a condo on the third floor of a 12-story building. Turns out the HVAC is on the, ceiling, the roof of the 12-story mm-hmm. building. And if everyone is using their heat or using their air... She doesn't get any because it all comes down from the roof. And by the time it gets to the third floor, it's all gone.
1: Wow. So like when we had the
2: heat wave a few weeks ago, she had to go sleep at her mom's house. And now Ugh. that it's getting cold, they're all bundled up. And, and it's, I, I have to tell you, I've been doing this for 26 years, doing the real estate stuff for over 20 years, never even crossed my mind. Well, so should now, have yeah.
0: should have come up an inspection, uh, right? Shoulda, coulda, woulda.
1: Well, I mean, but well, it depends you know, if you notice something, it, you know?
0: No, the, the inspector, I guess the inspectors aren't don't get that technical. You need an HVAC guy right. to actually Yeah, they're going to say, yeah, you have an HVAC system.
1: Air. It's located on the roof. Nobody says, oh, but by the way, yeah. if everyone's using it, you're probably not going to get <laughs> the benefits of it. Well, it, ter-
2: it. it turns uh-huh. out someone knew and was told by the listing agent not to uh-huh. say anything. That's uh-huh. what I
0: Okay, juicy case but, for you, know, you the there, interesting Jack.
2: The thing is, it's like the scene from Seven where the train goes by and shakes the, the whole apartment and mm. they're saying, you know, the, the real estate guy only brought us here for five minutes at a time because he was hiding that the train <laughs> came by every 20 minutes. Mm. If you go and look at the condo during the day at 11 o'clock, everyone's at work, at least back then everyone's mm. at work and no one's using their HVAC. Yeah. So the third floor condo is fine, but then comes six o'clock and everyone turns on the heat or the air you don't have any,
0: all right, Jack. I'm going to help you here. I know a really good HVAC guy it has been working for me for twenty years. I'm guessing he could fix this thing and and although that might that might screw up your case but but that's well, what you need you need a good hVAC guy
2: i I appreciate that. I mean the cost of repairing it would be what the case would be about, gotcha
0: so. okay, it's doable right, yeah, it's doable
2: right, right.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Good, good stories. Good advice. So much
1: good advice. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Jack. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Having you on.
2: Be well. Thank you. It was a lot of fun.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. I'm Paul with Great Builds.
1: And I'm Sarah with Glen Oaks Escrow. And if you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review.
0: If you'd like to get in touch, please email us at larealtorpod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.
1: We'll see you next time.